This podcast is brought to you by Nut Wani Coalition's Farm Talk podcast. They have been serving the Hopi community since 2004 by working to reaffirm and preserve traditional Hopi farming. Go to nutwanicoalition.org to learn more. That's N-A-T-W-A-N-I coalition.org. Native Community Capital is your trusted partner for home loans or financing your business. Visit us at nativecap.org or call us at 855-628-2272. Let's work together to rebuild tribal economies. Listening to the Five Star Podcast, and I am your host, the Five Star Five Diamond Chef J Man, here in our special home, in our lovely home, Peace Academy Studio, by myself. And this is the first time that this has ever happened in the history of my short career of podcasting that I am alone, and that I have the opportunity undisrupted opportunity to share with you all my thoughts, my perspectives, unfiltered J-Man without any type of interruptions from certain individuals who will remain nameless. And no, I'm just kidding on that. I I will name my former co-host. And so for those of you that have been following along, you heard our little drama that's been going on through season six. And then so because of that drama that Carl and I are writing solo, that Carl introduced to you all last week, the inaugural episode of his podcast, which I believe was called the greatest show on earth podcast, which I think would have some false advertisement in that name, if you ask me. And then that's afforded me the opportunity to bring to you all the Five Star Podcast. And so I'd like to thank you all for bringing my voice into your home through your speakers. And I am definitely excited to be able to discuss and share a little bit more about some things that I would like to talk about. Because, you know, I I think that anybody out there that has worked in partnership in any type of um, any type of project, whether that's work related or even you think about relationships that when you think about um, even friendships, if you travel with somebody that you've never traveled with before, that a lot of compromise has to happen. A lot of compromise has to happen that you can't do what you want to do 100 percent all the time, because maybe whoever it is that you're in partnership with, that they got ideas, that there are things that you don't want to do. And so oftentimes you have to meet in the middle for the sake and the betterment of relationships. But I think last week and this week, definitely it's a big change that, you know, Carl was able to share with you anything and everything that he wanted to share. And then today is my opportunity. And, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Carl and I do, we do get a lot of feedback and we appreciate it. We definitely appreciate the feedback that the listeners, you all out there give us in regards to how we can make the podcast better. And I think that Carl's solo episode has kind of have you all already tired of our one solo dynamic and wants us to get back together as a tag team. But because Carl was afforded the opportunity to have his solo episode, that unfortunately I do apologize, but for one more week that you all will have to settle for getting the peanut butter by itself, so to speak, or to get the jelly back by itself, so to speak. And, you know, Carl and I, we do recognize that we do make a great tag team. And so that, you know, you will get the peanut butter and jelly 
back. That I can promise. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about in preparation for this podcast was, you know, think trying to think about, you know, what could I talk about that's a little bit different than Carl, what Carl and I talk about, or what could I share about myself that, you know, maybe some of the things I haven't shared with you all, you know, to learn a little bit more about J-Man, to a little bit, to learn a little bit more about my position, about how I live or how I think things to those degree to that degree. But one of the things that I definitely thought about, and I know Carl for sure had those same thoughts was, um, that him and I were going to use this opportunity to kind of bury each other, to kind of bash each other. Because like, as I mentioned before, in any relationship that you do get tired of the person that you're in partnership with. And so, you know, you have these venting opportunities that a lot of us take up and, you know, we kind of say some things about the other person. And so you all heard it last week. I think Carl compared me to a, a stain in his Jinko jeans that he directed so to wash out. And then, you know, I had the same thought, you know, what kind of jokes could I crack on Carl? How could I bury him? And, you know, kind of just vent on air to, you know, the thousands of you out there that listen to our podcast. But then, you know, after listening to Carl's episode last week or his podcast last week that I had this thought that there is absolutely no joke that I could make clever enough. There is absolutely no way that I could bring any type of embarrassment towards Carl more so than the type of, uh, embarrassment that I think he generated for himself in last week's episode. And so, you know, I, I kind of feel sorry for the guy. So, you know, I, I will do my best. I promise that I will try to keep the Carl bashing at a zero. But of course, I am human. And so, you know, I am imperfect. And so I can only try and I can promise that I will only try to try to uh, be a lot nicer to Carl moving forward. But, you know, I, I, I can't help it sometimes. You know, the truth is, is that I can't help it sometimes. And that, you know, I'd have gotten some comments prior about people saying that I'm a little bit too mean to Carl. And, you know, for those folks out there, I tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I will try to do my best starting today. And especially starting today, you know, I absolutely have no reason to direct any hate or any type of disses or clowns towards Carl, because it's all about me today. It's all about J-Man. It's all about what I want to talk about. And, you know, the the name of the podcast is the Five Star Podcast. And the Five Stars definitely represents my past, represents the workings that I once did. And I shared that with you all that I once worked in a Five Star, Five Diamond Chef. And so you're not Five Stars unless you live Five Stars. And so I'm definitely trying to have this podcast and have this forum at least be up to that level. But one of the things that I wanted to do before I got into the main part of the podcast is that I wanted to share some love to some folks out there because it's because of the CJ podcast brand. It's because of the CJ podcast umbrella. It's because of all of you listeners out there to the CJ podcast that have made it have afforded Carl and I the opportunity to be able to create our own individual podcasts and to actually have a listener base already existing for us to be able to convey our ideas, to convey our thoughts, to share a little bit of the goofiness 
of what goes on here on the reservation. So I definitely want to show my appreciation and to share uh, a shout out, share a shout out. And so for the regular listeners of there out there of the CJ podcast, you know that I'm the guy that likes to give the shout outs. I like to express my appreciation. So I definitely want to express my appreciation out there to the 30 pack circle of givers of the CJ podcast brand. And so I like to send out a big shout out, big quack quack to Alexis Kehi. Shout out to Shane Cody, Kobe Dempsey. Shout out to Michaela Williams, Terry Hanani, Troy Lamovaya, Deidre Leslie, Venetia Hanani, Rachel Reinhardt, Noel Koyahoma, Aaron McEmris, Jerris Mark Billigodi, Donovan Goldtooth, Dion Sania, Millard Kawanyama, Gary Lomayesva, and Michelle Holden. And so big kwakwa, big shout out to you all. Thanks to you all that we have this opportunity to speak to such a large listener base. And then big shout out too to our sponsors. Big shout outs to Terraform Development, to Kwan Vioma Law, PLLC. Shots out to Nurturing Indigenous Intelligence. Big shout out to the Nutwani Coalition. And then uh, shout out to our newest sponsor, our newest sponsor uh, headed by our very good friend, uh, Dave Castillo. And so I'd like to big, send out a big thank you to you to all of you for being able to make this possible for us. And so that is definitely something that I wanted to share about. And so I kind of wanted to get into the five star podcast and, and what that is. And so, you know, basically a lot of what Carl and I talk about already on the CJ podcast brand are ideas that I have ideas that J man has, because if it were up to Carl, I promise you <laughs> that we wouldn't be a Hopi centric or reservation reservation centric podcast that we were probably talking about things like, uh, computers or, uh, cameras talking about our childhood dreams and wanting to become ninjas and things like that. And, um, but I definitely wanted to provide, a snapshot of reservation lifestyle. I wanted to provide a snapshot of the uniqueness in particular, the Hopi reservation. And, you know, I think that the uniqueness of Hopi is the fact that we still have retained a lot of practices such as our language, speaking our heritage language, we've retained a lot of cultural practices. And, you know, this is a, a theme that runs heavy through the CJ podcast brand. And I thought that it was very important. I thought that it was very important to share that type of information with the rest of the world, because when you think about American Indians in general, that it's a very small population. I think that based on the latest census data from 2010 that American Indians make up less than 0.2 percent of the entire population in the United States. So a very much underrepresented population. And I thought that having a podcast and to, you know, garner some type of strong listener base, which is what we've been able to do here, was a great opportunity for us to share information about reservation living to share information about the wackiness and the craziness of the things that go on on the reservation and you know i i think that you know because there are tons of podcasts out there 
that are created by indigenous folks for indigenous folks. But, you know, I think that, and this is something that we've mentioned prior to, is that a majority of those podcasts, you know, kind of tend to uh, discuss things that are a little bit on the larger narrative scale in regards to American Indians and our place in community, that they tend to talk about things like um, the, the colonization of American Indians, that they tend to talk about the forced assimilation, which was uh, a topic of one of our very most recent episodes and then you need to kind of talk about um, things like I guess empowerment to get native folks into a position where we can do things like take our lands back or reincorporate our cultures reincorporate our languages back into our communities which I think is a very very important discussion it's a very important type of uh, narrative to develop but i think when you have so many people out there already talking about those types of things that it's important to think about other areas that aren't discussed and i think that a lot of the different areas that aren't discussed are um simple things like uh survival areas in regards to the reservation because there was one big shout out that I wanted to give that I kind of forgot at the beginning until I remembered now that I definitely wanted to give a big shout out to the Koho uh, for Hopi those people that run that program and so you know your Hopi word of the day Koho Koho means wood and so that there is a program out there that uh, works with the United States or at least with the with the state Arizona State Forestry and that they provide places where Hopis can go to largely around the Flagstaff area and then they can gather wood that they can gather wood and bring wood back back to the reservation and I think that that's something that Carl and I have communicated is that fuel is so important for the reservation whether that's wood or coal and we talked about how a lot of homes their heating during the winter time is powered by fuel that it's powered by wood that it's powered by coal and for those of you that are keeping up with the recent events on Indi Indian country and particularly relating to Hopi and Navajo that the Peabody coal mine has been shut down and so the Peabody coal mine was I guess a space where many, not just Hopi, but many Navajo families went to go to, to procure coal for their homes. And then for Hopis, you know, for, because we've talked about how heavy that we are into our ceremony to procure, procure fuel for the give us for, I guess, our version of our churches to be able to keep our give us warm during the winter time when we have our winter ceremonies. And so I definitely wanted to give a big shout out to the Koho for Hopi people that have made it easier for us, made it easier for the Hopi people to be able to get wood and coal. And it's such an important thing, too, because I, I think that the missing part to that story is that, unfortunately, there are a lot of homes out here on the reservation that, quite frankly, aren't up to code to so to speak, because I, I think when you talk about building codes out here in Hopi and, you know, I, I could be completely wrong on this, but, you know, they seem to be very non-existent. And so that a lot of homes aren't suitable for living to a degree. And but unfortunately, because, you know, a lot, we've talked about the disparities, the economical disparities out here. And so families have no choice but to live in these homes that quite aren't up to par 
in keeping a family comfortable. And so having that fuel for those homes is even more important, is even more important. And so even small things like that about the inadequacies and 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 inadequacies of our homes and you know the disparities in terms of that to be able to share those types of stories and so you know really that's kind of where my mindset sits and so you know that's kind of that that would kind of be a lot of what the five star podcast would be but I am going to talk a little bit about myself I'm going to talk about a little bit about more about the direction that I could have gone into because when and I'm basing this a lot of on what I heard last week in Carl's episode because he did he did we did learn more about Carl last week we did learn more about his thought process and we learned more about his childhood and we learned a little bit more about what he wanted to be when he grew up and you know I I tease him a lot and you've heard me tease him before that I tease him a lot about his yearnings to go back to his childhood about his thought process on the 90s back when he was a little boy and still playing around with Ninja Turtles and dressing up in costume, being able to watch Saturday morning cartoons and, you know, having access to certain types of toys, that those were the happiest moments in his life and that I tease him a lot because that's what he chooses to talk about a lot when he reflects back on his history and that you know for me to determine that oh that probably was a real happy point in his life and you know he did say it he did say that you know things were much easier back then and in preparation for this episode you know trying to think you know was there a point in time in my life that I reflect back to a whole lot, like kind of how Carl does when he thinks about his childhood. And I actually did. I, I was able to determine a point in my life that I think of very fondly. And there are certain things that I see that remind me of those times in my life. And, and that point was the early 2000s, was my teenage years. My teenage years were the most favorable part of my life. And, you know, it kind of hit me because I was... Uh, at home scrolling through the various and many apps that I have, a lot of which that I pay for and don't even utilize. And uh, I found The Chappelle Show. I found The Chappelle Show on Netflix. And, you know, if you're somebody that grew up in those early 2000s, more than likely you had a copy of the DVDs from The Chappelle Show. And so, you know, I was watching those and it really reminded me back of that time when I was actually watching that show live in the early 2000s. And that kind of really clicked the light bulb in my head. And then I think the other thing too that I was watching was uh, the movie House Party and even though the movie House Party came out in the early 90s that I was really watching it in the early 2000s and so that really kind of brought me back to those years and I I think that I really appreciated those years simply because of uh, I actually had a lot of freedom I guess really in regards to having access to a vehicle that my father he had a, a big green Chevy truck that uh, he allowed me to drive around in. And so I, he, I was able to use that through parts of high school after graduating from high school. So I had the ability to go see friends. I had the ability to go drive around, cruise around, which is a term that you hear a lot on the reservation that I was able to cruise around, cruise the dirt roads and really with nowhere to go because then, you know, at that point in your life that you had a lot of time that you wanted to spend as much time out of the house as you could and you wanted to spend as much time with your bros with your homies and then you know being that young and being 
interested in girls that you know it was an even funner time if you're able to get the girl that you wanted the girl that you like to be able to sit passenger seat while you're cruising around on the reservation and so you know that's kind of a, a time that I think of very fondly and so um, it's not just the Carl thing for for you to reflect back on a certain favorable part of your life and so you know I won't be so hard on him when he thinks about wanting to be a ninja and you know carl if you're listening to this and i know that you are those jokes are played out you got to come up with some new material bro and i apologize i apologize i know that i said that i was gonna try to keep the carl bashing to a zero but like i said i i just can't help it sometimes i can't help it and so you know but that that was kind of you know some some things that i wanted to share because carl did have that opportunity to just share that and you know a lot of people joke with me because i think that a lot of people are expecting me to talk primarily on professional wrestling that a lot of people are probably expecting me to talk entirely about uh, sports because I am a big fan of sports. I love to watch sports and I know that a lot of folks out there are also big fans of sports. I know that this is happy time for a lot of you out there because we got football Sunday back and this past Sunday was actually this past weekend in particular was a very happy football weekend for me because the Arizona State Sun Devils they defeated UCLA and then the Arizona Cardinals defeated the Rams and so and then I think that at some point too I also mentioned that sports radio was kind of a huge reason as to why I thought doing a podcast sounded enticing was to have this opportunity to be able to talk about the things that you're passionate about to be able to have listeners listen to you and talk and then like I said you know we really do appreciate all the comments and all of the outside dialogue that we get from the listeners about some of the topics that we talk about just to hear what some of you all think about some of the topics that we discuss to hear kind of some additional perspectives because you know we really are just two perspectives here in the studio Carl and I and so you know those were definitely some topics that I had thought about discussing and you know I really don't know how many sports hardcore sports fans out there that are listening to the podcast because we did do our Hopi and sports episodes way back when in season one. And, and to be honest with y'all, although at the moment it does have a high number of listens, but at the time it was one of our lowest performing episodes in comparison to the to the rest of the episodes from that season. And so, you know, not really knowing how many avid sports fans are out there. And I, I already can give a pretty accurate guess of how many professional wrestling fans out there that listen to our podcast because you know I think professional wrestling is something that you pick up as a kid and you could because I remember when I was younger back in my day school days going into my junior high school days that there were a lot more people that I knew that watched professional wrestling and as I got older getting into my teenage years going through my 20s and then into my 30s and like a lot of those folks that I knew that watched wrestling back then they don't watch wrestling now and so they grew out of it but some of us don't grew out of haven't grown out of it and so definitely like to give another special shout out to the only two friends that I know that watch, well, actually three friends that I know watch professional wrestling that listen to this podcast. I'd like to give a big shout out to uh, Dalvin 
owner of Nicolette's Winning Skateboarding. Give a shout out to my buddy Chaos and like to give out a, sh- a shout out to my fraternity brother, Michael. And so, you know, that's kind of the small community of professional wrestling fans out there. Oh, and then another shout out to uh, my friend Lear as well. And so actually there's four of us. So uh, kind of a small community of pro wrestling fans that I can converse with and kind of geek out and nerd about about those sorts of things. And so, but actually the, the topic that I decided to speak on. And so for, for my podcast that it's going to parallel the CJ podcast a whole lot, because as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, that I love to talk about this stuff that I love to talk about the different types of issues that go around that go on around Indian country. I like to talk about the different dynamics that go on without that go on around Indian country. And definitely I love to talk about the stuff that isn't discussed because then it's like in what academic journal outside of a public health journal, are people going to discuss the differences between Piccadilly's versus pickle slushies, I believe is what they're called in the city. Nurturing Indigenous Intelligence is a grassroots organization based on the Hopi Reservation. They work to alleviate the hardships in the community through acts of giving, from distributing school supplies, volunteering at various places, and working to expand their services. Follow them on Instagram at NurturingI Squared and on Facebook at NI Squared Team to find out more. Kuanbio Malaw PLLC is 100% native owned and operated, founded by Viren Kuanbioma. Their practice areas include corporate law, business transactions, finance, economic development, gaming, casino development, online gaming, real estate, environmental permitting and approvals, telecommunications, government affairs, employment and labor relations, historic preservation and cultural resources, and energy. Kuanbio Malaw is committed to making positive and lasting change in our communities as they support nonprofit volunteering community activism and employing Indian preference in hiring and vendor relations. Terraform Development is a Navajo and Hopi-owned engineering, architectural, and project management firm located in northern Arizona. The company has full-time staff and comprises of Navajo and Hopi employees. Terraform services include civil engineering, residential design, drone mapping, and project management on projects for your need. Terraform is a Priority One Navajo Certified Business and Hopi Business License Certified. Contact Terraform Development at T-E-R-R-A the number four orm.com and follow them on instagram at terraform development and so today's inaugural episode of the five star podcast hat carries that same theme and one of the things that i wanted to talk about and this really fits in with the drama that carl and i are going through at the moment is this idea of division a nation divided a nation divided and so it only took me about 25 minutes to get to this point but you know with without supervision that's how i can be that's how i can get that i can go off into space and discuss but i definitely think that it's a fun thing to do to be able to kind of nerd out and to kind of geek out about some of these topics because then it really gets you to think it really gets you to think about the different perspectives that people have it really gets you to understand why people think in a certain way and to try to help to bring light to why certain things are issues and so i wanted to talk about this idea Idea of division, this idea of people's inabilities to agree on something and how that can affect the community, how that can affect families and how that certainly can affect the nation. And so 
this idea that I wanted to kind of bring up was that when thinking about Hopi in particular, when thinking about the uniqueness of Hopi, thinking about our communities, I used to think that what happened here on the Hopi reservation was such a unique thing in comparison to the rest of the world. But as I went off to college and once I learned more about the world, basically, I learned that a lot of what goes on on Hopi happens all throughout the world. I've learned that declining cultures is something that's pretty prevalent throughout the world. I've learned that language decline is something that's pretty prevalent that happens throughout the world. And this big narrative that Carl and I discuss a whole lot, this idea of factory settings versus upgraded phones in regards to how we perceive our futures to be is another big thing that happens throughout the world. And so definitely, although the history and the contemporary conditions of Hopi is obviously very unique to Hopi. But the reality is that on the base, on the face of it, that a lot of what we've gone through has happened elsewhere, is happening elsewhere. And so that was definitely one of the things that I wanted to share. But I think that uh, an important thing to kind of understand as I talk about it from a context that's more centric to Hopi is, you know, that this idea of division has happened before in our history, that this idea of division is happening right now in our communities, that us as Hopi people, that in the past we haven't been able to agree, to agree on certain things, and it's led to big divisions, that in the contemporary, that us as Hopi citizens can't agree on certain things, and it's going to be interesting to see where those disagreements and how it moves into the future, how it shapes Hopi, how it shapes our villages, how it's going to shape the perspectives of our children today. And what type of reality will that create for our grandchildren? And so I wanted to talk about kind of something that I was really interested in as a graduate student at Arizona State University when I was starting my master's degree. And for those folks that live here on Hopi, this is something that's pretty common knowledge. But if you're just learning about Hopi for the first time, that I think that one of, at least in most recent times within the last 200 years that the biggest division that we saw on Hopi was the the split at Oraivi. And so a lot of folks kind of know what that is, that kind of know what that's about. And Carl and I, I think we touched on it a little bit in previous episodes, but not really to a, a large degree. And that, you know, for folks, uh, like I said, just learning about Hopi or, or only know about Hopi from the timelines of like the 80s, the 90s, this part of the century, because in 2021, if you were to visit the Hopi Reservation and if you were to drive past the village of Oraivi, that you would look at it and you would kind of maybe think of it kind of in an in insignificant way, because from the physical optics of it, that it looks like a rundown village that it looks like a very small village. But at one point, historically, that the village of Oraivi was the largest of all the Hopi villages. That at one point, that there were over a thousand Hopis living in Oraivi. And then Oraivi is also the mother village, the village that led to the, develop to the development of other villages. And I think Carl and I discussed that 
at a pretty good pretty good extent in one of our previous episodes but basically you know the village that him the the villages that him and i are both from the villages of Munqapi, villages of hotvela derived from oraivi then you also include the village of Bakavi, the village of kikotsmovi are all technically offsprings of the village of oraivi and so when you think about that large population that they had at once upon a time over a thousand hopis living in that village you see where all those descendants are in the village of kikotsmovi Bakavi, hotvela both munqapi villages we all get our descendancy from the village of Oraivi. But, you know, a big part of the reason why, or at least from, from how I understand it as to why such a large village is no longer a big village is because of the split. Because at one point in time, primarily in the late 1800s, that the federal government came onto the reservation and they really wanted all Indians to conform and to start adopting practices of the white men. And in particular, the two main ones were it was religion. They wanted all Indians to convert to Christianity. And then the other part too was to adopt and accept this idea of education, of the white man's education. And then that was created through this creation of Indian boarding schools. And so, you know, you've heard a lot of news recently about Indian boarding schools on social media that, you know, there were a couple of boarding schools, I believe in Canada that were discovered to have quite a bit of uh, human remains on their, on their properties. And, you know, I think a lot of folks are crediting, crediting the result of that as to poor care of Indian children. And so, you know, the, the federal policy was to force Indian people to go through the Indian boarding schools and then also to, to come uh, as, to assimilate into the white man's religion, which is something Carl and I talked about a whole lot. And so it really, it was the introduction of uh, these two different practices that were brought to Hopis that kind of caused this split in Oraivi. And so you had Hopis that kind of wanted to accept some of these things because then they saw what some of the benefits were of the white men. They saw their technology and they saw that as some sort of benefit that a lot of the tools that the white people used for farming, that they, it was something that they thought of as a positive that, that could help them in the types of farming that we do out here on Hopi. And so there were definitely a group that saw some sort of benefit from kind of adopting and assimilating to a degree into what the lifestyle of the white man was back then. And then on the opposite side of the fence that you had groups of Hopis who didn't want to accept anything of the white man because it was their deep belief that any introduction of a different type of lifestyle within the Hopi lifestyle would set our people on a direction that would go in the different opposite direction of what our Hopi Tati, our Hopi life is supposed to be. And so as a result of the inabilities of the people of Oraivi to agree that it created this large split, it created this large split split that you had two different groups. And back then, these two different groups, they, they were named by the white people. They were named friendlies and then they were named hostiles and the friendly group was the group of Hopis that wanted to accept 
some of the white man's way of life, including education, that wanted to accept some form of white of the white man's life, and some of those acceptances too had in regards to the land, with breaking up the land and giving individual ownership to individuals, and so that was kind of another part of of that. And then the hostile group was the group of Hopis that wanted nothing to do with the white man's way of life, that they wanted to hold on, they wanted to preserve, they wanted to keep and continue the Hopi way of life. And so from the federal government's perspective, you have the friendly Indians that want to work with us and they want to adopt some of the good things that we're trying to provide for them. And then on the other hand, from the federal government perspective, you have the hostile Indians, the Indians that want to make trouble, that want to reject the, the great things that we're going to bring of benefit for Hopi. And so, you know, I guess in a way, long story short, that that's ultimately what kind of led to this split to where the main part of the hostile group was forced to leave Oraivi. And they were forced to leave Oraivi. And then essentially those people created the villages of Hotvela and they created the villages of Pakavi. And then the friendly group stayed in Oraivi. But because there was a fracture, there was a fracture in the community that not only did, was the community fractured, but ceremonies were fractured. Other practices that are deemed important within Hopi were also fractured. And so really that event can be, I guess, blamed for the decline of the village of Oraivi. And, you know, it, I, I think that, you know, and the reason why that con or, or that point in Hopi history is so fascinating to me is because like that, like, I think that we think the way that we think our thought processes are largely influenced by where we're from, that they're largely influenced by the clans that we come from, and they're largely influenced by our educators and our educators, especially when it comes to culture, especially when it comes to history, that they tend to be our parents. They tend to be older individuals in the villages that we come from. So me being a person from Winkapi and Winkapi is one of the only villages that has still held some sort of tie with Oraivi. And so as Munkapis, we still refer to Oraivi as the mother village, that we still consider ourselves an extension of the village of Oraivi. And so when you reflect, when you think back to our assimilation episode, when I introduced the idea of Hopis assimilating others, that my premise was that although we are all Hopi, technically, but be based upon which Mesa that you come from, that you're going to have a certain type of perspective, that you're going to have a certain type of understanding about how you see life, how you see Hopi life, how you see Hopi culture, even the way that you speak Hopi, because even the way that I say Oraivi, I have that rolling R that I can't say as well as Carl can in pronouncing that name of the village. But then, you know, I've heard the name Oraivi also be pronounced Ojaivi. I've also heard the name 
of the village also pronounced as Old Oraibi. And so based upon how you say it kind of shows where you're from, kind of shows how you were taught to perceive that village, where how you were taught to, I guess, respect that village to a degree, <laughs> because, you know, I, I've, I've heard some folks on, you know, certain sites to, to not talk highly about Oraivi based upon their histories and based upon their interactions with other outside groups. And so, you know, I think that that, that kind of that aspect is very important in regards to, I guess, when you're learning about something, really learning more about the person that's telling that story. Because as I mentioned before, that being from the village of Munqapi, especially being from the lower village, that that's kind of something that's really ingrained in us is that we do still consider ourselves an extension of Oraivi village. And then, you know, that was the other aspect too about division that I kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about because, you know, I think when I was thinking about this episode in particular about, you know, kind of sharing what it is that I wanted to share, I definitely wanted to share more about my village. I wanted to share about the village of Munqapi because I think that being in Munqapi that you're very much isolated from the rest of Hopi that you're very much isolated and then because of that isolation and the fact that we're completely surrounded by the Navajo Nation that it builds a certain different type of unique culture and so you know like like I think Carl got a little bit upset in our assimilation episode about us being a sub culture of Hopi but I think that that is very true I think that that is very true that we are a subculture of Hopi because although there is an original source that based upon people's progressions based upon people's journeys based upon people's experiences that it does change things it does change things and it changes how you look upon the world and I think that some Hopis, when they look at the uniqueness of their particular village, when they look at the uniqueness of their particular clan, that, you know, pride does develop. Pride does develop and, you know, they start to have half pride in the way that they look upon the world from uh, a quote unquote third Mesa context that they have pro pride on how they look up look at the world and approach things culturally from a quote-unquote second Mesa context and then, you know, continuing on from a quote-unquote first Mesa context. And so based upon, you know, a person's history, based upon a person's experiences, based upon a person's triumphs and tribulations, that that's what makes that unique. That's what makes that different. And that's what makes certain folks want to maintain a certain way of life. And I definitely think that all of those ideas contribute to some of these historical happenings that have happened within our cultures, whether that be in the village of Oraivi or being in the villages of Munqapi, because, you know, that's not that's not a story or a history lesson that a lot of people receive is why are there why is there a lower Munqapi and why is there an upper Munqapi? And, you know, not really experiencing life out here on the main part of Hopi a whole lot that I've heard a lot of comments out there from individuals living out here saying upper and lower, they're really just one village. How come they call themselves upper and lower? 
And, you know, I kind of, I, I can't help but to roll my eyes sometimes because then, you know, I think in my head when I hear that from folks out here that say, that, oh, they're just one village. How come they're queevy and how come there's an upper and lower? And yeah, I roll my eyes a little bit and it's like, well, if you lived out there, then you might know why that there's a difference between an upper and a lower. And, you know, this is, this is something that I do think about often because, you know, although the theme of today's episode is division, and talking about why certain groups are divided, I do very much believe that for the betterment of the overall good of people, whether we're talking about a particular village, the villages of Munqapi, or we're talking about the larger groups, the Hopi tribe, or even thinking about even larger than that, just American Indians, indigenous people in general, that I do feel that to be united is a much better approach in, I guess, survival to a degree. But when talking about Munqapi, that, you know, growing up in Munqapi, that especially from the lower village, that we were taught, I guess, the histories of why we're not together anymore. And the history of Munqapi is very much similar to the history of Oraivi that when the federal government came in, that they introduced various ideas into which they wanted Indian people to be assimilated into the white man's way of life. But the lower Munqapi people are, I guess, back then they weren't lower Munqapis, but there was a group of Hopis in Munqapi that wanted to maintain the traditional way of Hopi life, that they wanted to maintain and basically kind of align themselves with this idea of traditionalism to keep the Hopi, traditional Hopi educations going, to keep the traditional Hopi ceremonial practices going, to maintain to a, a farming lifestyle, to keep that type of lifestyle going. But I guess really where it differs, the Munqapi story from the Oraivi story is this idea of organized government. Because from my understandings is that's really kind of how it started was that the federal government wanted tribes to start governing themselves. And this was probably in the 1920s, the introduction for all my AIS uh, folks out there. The Indian Reorganization Act was developed, was enacted by Congress in the 1920s. And basically what that was, was that they wanted tribes to start taking care of themselves. They wanted tribes to develop governments so that they can govern their own affairs and something like that, you know, is kind of, I guess, racist to the ninth degree, because prior to that, tribes already had some form of government. Tribes already had ways that they were governing themselves. But really what their Indian Reorganization Act, what they wanted was they wanted tribes to develop a white man's form of government. They wanted tribes to adopt this type of governing system so that the federal government could start legally steal land, I guess, so to speak. So they could start legally steal things like water rights, air rights, etc. And when this idea was introduced to the Hopis, for the most part, the more conservative Hopis rejected this idea of 
developing a white man's form of government and wanted to stay traditional and stay aligned to the Hopi version of a governing system. And so this idea of developing a government when that was brought to Munkapi, that there were Hopis on both sides of the fence, that there were Hopis that wanted to maintain the traditional lifestyle. And then there were Hopis that did want to develop a version of a white man's government because the enticing part of developing a white man's government back in those days, and this is still remains true today, is that if you developed a government under the re Indian Reorganization Act that you would get federal funding, basically meaning that you would get money from the federal government to be able to do things like build schools, build hospitals, create job opportunities, etc. And so that was kind of the benefit of establishing a government under the IRA, but out in Munkapi that there was very much a divide that some Hopis wanted to stay and remain true to the Hopi way of life and that there were other Hopis that wanted to incorporate this type of governing system that wanted to do things like economic development that wanted to be able to bring the white man's money for their people so they could use a benefit. Now, there is a more detailed version of this story, but as Carl and I have stated multiple times that we try to respect and honor our cultural things. And so that will not be shared today. But basically, you know, that's kind of what led to the divide. That's what led to the upper village becoming the upper village and then them continuing to adopt a governing system under the IRA. And they were the first village, first Hopi village to adopt a village constitution, which to my knowledge, I believe that they're still the only village to have adopt a village constitution. And then the lower village kind of continued to stick to what it was that they wanted to do. And then in the contemporary times, you kind of really see it too. You kind of really see how that point in history really shaped the futures. Because then when you look at the upper village, that they are a little bit more progressive in the way that they govern themselves and more progressive in pursuing economic development. Because when you look at what it is that that village owns, they own the Denny's out near Tuba City. They own the travel center. There's a hotel. There's a water treatment center. There's a touring enterprise. And so when you think about back then in the Hisat time when they were having this disagreement about which direction to go, that now when you think about Hopi as a whole, we're all talking about economic development. We're all talking about wanting these job opportunities. We're all talking about wanting to build something for our villages. And so that's just kind of an example of what helped to cause that divide out at Munkapi was this indifference in between what direction that you were wanting to go to. And I guess, you know, really thinking about it now as, as a contemporary Hopi, thinking about it in the 2021s that, you know, for me personally, of course, you know, you know, I, I, I definitely am in favor of economic development. I definitely am in favor of providing job opportunities for our people in the upper village has definitely provided that. But I also 
am a proponent of maintaining our traditional languages. I am also a proponent of maintaining our cultural ways, maintaining a certain type of respect for our ceremonies and carrying ourselves that way. And I definitely believe that the lower village is a little bit more successful in doing something like that. But one of the things that I definitely wanted to share, though, was this idea of perspective, you know, because I do share my perspective of the villages of Munqapi and the villages of Oraivi from my perspective. And perspective tends to favor the person that's telling it. And so I really haven't heard the upper village's perspective about why their people chose to go in the direction that they did. But I rather a majority, if not all of my perspective comes from people from the lower village. And so, you know, that's tends to skew in favor of one direction and you know something happened to me very recently that I really kind of wanted to incorporate into whether it was this episode or future episodes of the CJ podcast brand and you know it kind of aligns with this idea of perspective is that very recently I was at my my pasa at, at our cornfield which isn't too far from the highway out there at Munkapi and I was at I was actually at my sister's trailer and she has a trailer that's pretty close to our field and my father and I we were there we we're working on a project and as we were working on this project we saw three big birds flying in the sky very close to us and my dad asked me and you know, he he says uh, do you have your gun with you um, um, uh, shotgun panima he asked me and I said Yes, I said, oh, and so, and he said, you know, you should shoot at those birds. And so I ran to my truck. From the time it took me to get from where we were working, to get to my truck, to get out my gun, to get out the shotgun shells, to load it, that the birds flew higher into the sky. And so I thought that, you know, oh, they're probably out of my range, that I probably won't be able to hit them with my shotgun. And so I'm kind of just standing there looking at him. And then my dad kind of yells to me, you know, shoot, shoot. And so I aim my gun up, not thinking that I'm going to hit it. But, I, you know, I shoot anyway. And so I shoot, boom. And of course, you know, I, I, I miss it because I'm already thinking that they're out of range. And then I hear him kind of yell again, again, again. And so, you know, I put a shot in the shell in there and then I shoot. This time I, I think that one of the BBs grazed one of the wings of the birds and when I first got out my shotgun, I only got out two shells. And even though I had shot at these birds twice, that they didn't fly away, that they were still circling in the sky. And so I ran to my truck. I got out more shotgun shells and I shot one more time and still didn't hit it. And then because of the noise of the shotgun shells, it caused a crow to fly out from a corral that's very close to our village where a lot of ranchers keep their horses. A bird flew out and as I saw the crow, I shot at it. But this time, after I shot at it, I hear somebody yelling from the corrals. They say, hey. And so them yelling at me, I'm thinking in my head, oh, they're probably mad because I'm spooking their horses because that's what's mostly kept over at those corrals that are very located very close to our our field. And so I stopped, put the gun away, 
And then I get back to working with my father. And I didn't think a whole lot about it. And then I, after about 15 to 20 minutes, I see a truck coming. And I, I kind of recognize the truck from that was parked at the corral. And, you know, I know it's this guy that just yelled at me. So I'm thinking, like, oh, man, this guy's coming and, you know, he's going to get pissed off at me for, for scaring his horses. And the truck stops. A guy gets out and I actually recognize this person. And I'm thinking in my head, oh, because I know him and he knows me, you know, maybe he won't be so harsh with me. You know, maybe he's just come here to have a conversation. But this individual gets out of his truck and I could see he's upset. And, you know, he kind of yells in an aggressive, well, not really yells, but he says in a very aggressive way and says, hey, you shouldn't be shooting up there like that. Because in the direction that you're shooting, not very far from here are the houses of the village. And, you know, whatever you shoot in the air might come down and hit somebody. And I feel like that. You know, because I was shooting a shotgun, that there's absolutely no way that my shells could reach the village. And so, you know, I try to defend myself and I tell this person, you know, there's no way that my shells are going to reach the village. You know, there we're at least at the very least a half mile away from the closest home. And if anybody knows anything about guns, about shotguns, that the range isn't very far and so it'd be a bigger difference if I was using a rifle, a deer rifle. But this individual continues to kind of yell and get upset with me, telling me that, you know, I, I shouldn't be shooting like that, that I might hit somebody. And I keep trying to tell this guy, no, I shot straight up in the air that, you know, there's no way that my shells could reach this village. And, you know, it kind of went on for, you know, about maybe another minute or two. And then he drove off. And then after he drove off, you know, I was, I was pretty upset. I was kind of angry. And I was mad that this person would question me on my gun safety, would question me on and accuse me, you know, of doing something careless that potentially could hurt people. And, you know, my biggest fears after this person left, I was thinking, you know, what if he goes on to Facebook what if he go what if he goes on to facebook and starts you know makes a post and says i just got back from the corral and some dumbass was shooting his gun recklessly and he pissed me off so i had to go over there and i had to yell at him and tell him you know you're you're doing something stupid and i remember thinking that and i remember thinking like ah oh, i could just see the comments now i could just see the comments if this person does make a post like that i know that whoever his followers are that they're going to jump on this post and without absolutely any context without absolutely knowing the full story of what happened that they would chime in and say oh that guy is stupid somebody should take his gun away oh that guy's dumb you should have called the cops how can people be so careless and just shoot their gun like that? And I remember thinking that, you know, what if he does something like that? But I think I've, I recognized at some point that this individual isn't on Facebook. So I, I think that the fear of that kind of went away. But of course, when I got home, that the Red's famous wife hurt my perspective and hurt my rent. And I told her that some dumbass guy came and was accusing me of being reckless he must not be a hunter because he knows absolutely nothing about guns. 
doesn't know that a shotgun doesn't have the type of range to be able to hit the houses like he's accusing me that I'm going to hit the houses. And, you know, I was even so upset about it. You know, I got onto my computer and I Google searched. What's the range of a shotgun? 250 yards. What's the, how many yards are in a half mile? Over 800 yards. And so I had to reassure myself that of something that I already knew that I wasn't shooting close enough to the villages. But I guess really the point of that long, long story is that, you know, perspective is so important that perspective tends to benefit the side of the person that's telling the perspective. So this individual's perspective, because I thought too that he probably went home and probably ranted to his wife and said, said very that, that there was some dumbass at his field shooting recklessly. And so I had to go over there and tell him that to stop. And then my perspective was some dumbass that doesn't know anything about guns came onto my field and, you know, got upset with me. So, you know, but either way, either way from both of those perspectives, I guess we're both dumbasses. But, um, but basically, you know, that's kind of really what I wanted to share with you all. And, you know, I, I, I do apologize. I know that some of you out there are already kind of annoyed with the singular dynamic that we've created, but it's definitely been a great opportunity for both Carl and I to be able to branch on our own. And like I said, I promise that peanut butter and jelly will be back together and we'll bring you all the joy and the regular normal things that you all enjoy of the CJ podcast brand. But thank you for allowing me to bring the inaugural episode, hopefully not the last episode of the five star podcast to your ears. And so definitely before I go, would like to remind you all that if you're not following us on our social media accounts, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Carl and J man. And then you can also, if you'd like to support us that you can go to um, the coffee website that Carl's always throwing out there. And so, you know, that's something I don't know by heart, but you can also find us on anchor.fm forward slash CJ podcast 85. If you would like, to join the 30 pack circle of givers group and definitely if you are interested in sponsoring any of our podcast episodes you can send us an email at cjpodcast85 at gmail.com and i think i'm about to lose my voice here but definitely would like to say one more time and we'll see you next time so long